So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 20. It was our season finale episode. This week, I had Barb and Drew on from the Down the Hill podcast. And we broke down the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, also known as the Delphi murders. This case is not only tragic, but it is just, it is heartbreaking and mind numbing all at the same time. Uh, I am obsessed with it. Zach's obsessed with it. We've even got Mike obsessed with it. Uh, So we have a lot of conversation for you guys today and a whole lot of questions from you. So we're going to get right into your final follow up episode for season nine. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alrighty, before we get into the questions, just want to remind you guys again that True Crime Binge is now live. Our first episode went out this Wednesday, just a couple of days ago. My first guest was Payne Lindsay. I think that everyone will love this conversation. I, I really did. I think Payne did too. Uh, obviously, we talk about the podcast and we talk about the cases that he's covered on Up and Vanished. But we, we really get to know Payne a little bit. And for those of you that are have been in the true crime space for a long time, you know, way back, Payne had... Uh, some beef with with our friend Robbie Ashaudry on Twitter, and uh, there's there's just been a lot that I think has where pain has been very misunderstood, and we dig into all of that and more. I think it's a really great episode. I think you're really gonna like it. It's got that season nine vibe to it. Please, if you haven't done so already, go check out the first episode of True Crime Binge with Payne Lindsay, and please uh, be so kind if you would. You know, I'm recording this on my birthday. So for my birthday, if you could give us a little rate and review on iTunes, we would really appreciate that as well. And also, I want to say congratulations to those of you, the first thousand people that listened to True Crime Binge on Wednesday morning before I caught it and fixed it, uh, got to hear the <laughs> the Bob's mattress ad yeah. <laughs> five times throughout the course of the episode. Uh, new system. We we were a new platform, not on Wondery. Put in some dynamic ad markers, and there was the corniest. You would almost think it was fake advertisement for uh, this company called Bob's Mattresses that dropped in uh, multiple times throughout the episode. Uh, so, but only the first thousand people got to hear that. 
Uh, other than that, we can move on. But uh, yeah, one more time. This is me begging and pleading. Listen to the first episode of True Crime Binge. Give us a rate and review. You'll be doing us a huge favor. We appreciate it. And now back to the show and more on Delphi. All right, let's get into these questions, Bob. Our first one comes from Devin. Since I haven't listened to the Down the Hill podcast yet, is there any indication the person responsible is or is not a local? You know, it, it's it, a lot of it's speculation. We can we can kind of profile the crime scene a little bit. I think that the person who did this, I would say this. I think they 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 know that area very well. I don't think the logistics of the crime scene in any way indicate that someone just happened to be out there taking a walk and by happenstance came across these two girls and killed them. I don't believe that for a second. I think that they knew. So, so that leads you to, do they know the girls or do they just know the area? I tend to lean more towards at this point that they knew the area. They, they had a, I, I believe they had an ambush site chosen. And I think they may have even had a kill site chosen and a method of egress all planned out and almost as though they set a trap and just waited for someone to walk into it. I tend to agree. I think they were familiar with the location, but saying that they were local, I think is hard. Yeah. Just obviously we don't know enough, but you feel like if they were truly a local by now, something would have came of it. Right. Because, well, you know, because yeah, it's a small town. Yeah. It's a very small town. But the other part of that, that I've been thinking is maybe it, maybe some information did already come out. You know, part of the problem, I think when, when they recorded down the hill, I think police said that they had already had like 35,000 tips, you know, so you wonder, like, has it gotten, has somebody come forward with information that would lead to the killer, but it got lost in the wash of the massive uh, uh, amount of tips that come from a combination of the police not giving much information and then giving what appears to be very specific information. So like the sketches, you get a sketch that's a very detailed sketch, which causes Thousands of people to call and say, hey, I know that guy. This is so-and-so. And so all these tips start coming in. It's very specific. And so, you know, that kind of call that that causes all this information to come in. And then they come out a year later and say, just kidding. This is the sketch that looks nothing like that person. And it causes a whole nother wave of all these tips to come in. And and again, without having I, I know we're going to get into it, but but without having much information. It's got to be really hard for the people trying to give the tips to sort out what's relevant and what's not relevant. Um, but I tend to agree with you that that it, it seems kind of unlikely that they would be local. But then again, as I said, so just to give you guys kind of a layout, because um, I don't think we did this on the podcast. So the area we're talking about, it's like a big park area. I would say, I try to remember when looking at it on Google Maps, I would say uh, uh, take a square that's maybe one mile by one mile. That's all woods. And if you're looking at that square on the very northwest corner of it is where the abandoned CPS building is. I believe that's where they were dropped off. And there's a trailhead there that goes in. And then as you wind through this big, you know, one mile block square of woods, there's trails that that wind through there. They split off and go different directions. When you get to uh, towards the southeast corner of that square. Not the corner, but the southeast quadrant of that is where this creek runs through, and you have the Monon High Bridge that goes from. It's not straight north to south; it's kind of at an angle, um, but you know, northwest to southeast ish, 
is this big bridge that crosses that creek, and it's about 65 feet above the creek. And, and for anybody that hasn't seen the bridge or seen any pictures, it's terrifying. Yeah. I, I mean, it's high. Like you said, it's, it's at, at its high point, it's probably 65 feet in the air, but there's no railing. It's, mm. an, it's an old train bridge, so they're railroad ties. There's, there's gaps, there gaps in between. between them. I mean, it's, it's pretty terrifying looking. Right. Yeah, and so that that bridge is so if you start where they there's they started on the northwest corner, wind through these trails, you end up through these very thick woods to this bridge. It's like in the middle, you know, it's in the kind of the southeast quadrant, but it's really in the middle of this giant patch of woods. And you cross the bridge and then you've got just a little, you know, you, you heard him saying, I think Drew said in the podcast that there's not once you get to the other side of the bridge, there's not much more there. And that's because you still have more woods. But the trail system stops because you get into private property then. So where the girls are found is once you have crossed that bridge and you're now on the southeast side of the creek, then uh, down the hill would be down the hill towards the east, uh, down a pretty steep hill, maybe to uh, you know grading down to a quarter mile or so. And then that same creek kind of winds around that area. And then their bodies are found down that hill across the creek back up into the woods on the other side of that. So now on the, in our one mile square, we're talking about on the east side, northeast side kind of uh, quadrant is where their bodies were found. And well, then they're actually outside of that because they're actually found on private property. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in, in, in that one mile square, it's not all public property. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all woods. Yeah. But so they're found on the private property and then up the hill from there, is the cemetery you heard us talking about, which is where I tend to think that they, you know, kind of the getaway vehicle was parked. So d- just to give you an idea, so so when you say they're probably not local, right? It, it seems it seems odd to think they could be and not be caught mm-hmm. because somebody would recognize them. But I do believe because of that layout, somebody. It's not like you could drive by and look and say I could pin somebody down and and attack them right there. You, you had to have known that area. And, and of course, we don't have a whole lot of the audio, but when you have, when it sounds as though the attacker is directing the girls, I personally believe at gunpoint, telling them to go down the hill, it seems like he knew where he wanted to take them. Because once they're on the south side of that bridge, not a lot of people are crossing over it, and there's now nowhere to really go once you get there. And so if you take them across, once they're across the bridge, and you go down the hill across that creek, now you're in an area where you're not going to come across anybody else anymore. So somebody had to know the area. And I don't know how you know that area very well unless you've actually physically been out there, which to me would mean that you, unless this is someone, which it could be, who really planned, like planned and planned and planned to want to do this to two girls, whoever they are. In any case, they had to get there and they had to scout out that area to know where they were going. Oh, I definitely don't think that, I, I don't think it was just happenstance. Like, I think that the killer spent a lot of time at that property beforehand. Mm hmm. But I also don't necessarily think the person's local. And and as we said in our pre-show meeting, you know, I was half joking, but, you know, I fit in the description partially. You know, I mean, the, the description is 18 to 40 year old man. Well, I'm in the middle of that, you know, actually, I'm on the top end of that, but I'm in that. I, I just passed out of it because it's my birthday. Yep. You're out of that. <laughs> and they talk about people that have connections to Delphi. Well, I, I've gone to Delphi multiple times a year right. for the last five, six years. So it could be, again, I, I don't necessarily fit the physical description, right? but it could be a person like that that just has, has opportunity to travel there often. Right. It, and it's, I feel like it's got to be somewhere close. You know, they, they, they have to at least live close. There's got to be a, 
Because why pick that? Sp- so you've traveled to Delphi, mm-hmm. you know, in your shooting events. Yeah. Multiple. I mean, five, six times a year. Did you know the Monon High Bridge existed? I did not know. I knew where the park was. I've seen the, I've drove past the park, but I didn't know that there was a bridge back there or anything like that. Right. So it'd be like, you know, just, just something happens from a, from a, and we're about two hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who would travel there. I don't know that you would pick that spot. Like, like how would you even end up back there to find out that's the spot? Mm-hmm. Unless you just happen to be like, I like to travel multiple hours away and go for walks and parks and like, Hey, this would be a great, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. So it, it does lean me kind of towards somebody who is, and maybe that's why they said they think it's someone local or someone who works in the area because it's somebody who's there a lot and knows, you know, kind of the goings on. Mm-hmm. Barbara says, my only theory why it's taking so long, the case, is that they have the suspect's DNA and utilizing a forensic genealogist similar to how the Golden State Killer was caught. What are your thoughts on this? I, I was just wondering about this over the weekend while I was just thinking more and more about the case. And I hope that the the police are using genealogy as we speak to try to narrow down who this person is. It sounds like they do have DNA from the scene. We don't know. We don't know anything about the scene. We don't know if there was sexual assault. We don't know if it was, you know, if they were shot, we don't know if they were stabbed. Would there be, was there a struggle? Is there skin cells under fingernails? But it sounds like from what police have said that they have a lot of forensic evidence uh, which would you know indicate some, or maybe they've even said DNA. And if they have a full DNA profile, hopefully that's something that's happening. I know a lot of people are kind of assuming it's not happening because we haven't heard about it, but they've been incredibly tight-lipped about the entire investigation. And keep in mind, when they were doing the genealogy searches for the Golden State Killer, they didn't tell us they were doing it. You know, it was it was years once they had run it through the system, and they started working through these family trees to find out who Joseph D'Angelo actually was. So hopefully that is happening. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jennifer says, is there significantly more audio and video available? From the last episode of Down the Hill, it really sounded to me as though they have a serious suspect in mind and are trying to get enough evidence to ensure a conviction. I understand the need to hold back evidence, but after so long, why wouldn't they release anything more to enlist the public's help? And along those lines, Carla says, what do you think is also on the video, Bob? Possibly the murders. So I mentioned this to Barb that I think there's more. And the police are only giving us a, a little bit of it. And she said she she thinks that there's probably not much more video, which was really once it the, the phone's in her pocket, if that's what happened, then it's just audio. My, I don't know how much there is, but this is my theory, especially knowing a little bit about audio and hearing how 
so so when it it starts off, the audio we hear is down the hill. That's all we got. Sounds like it sounds like the killer is directing them down the hill. We know that there's more to the video, obviously. We know that I think we can say we know that the video very clearly shows us that the bridge guy is the killer. Because that's something that back at the time when it first came out, I was is like, well, they because remember first it was just a still. And it's like, well, why does the fact that they took a picture of this guy that doesn't necessarily mean he's the guy? Mm-hmm. And and they, when they released it, that was that's what they said too. They said he was wanted for questioning. Right. That was the that was the end of it. Yeah. And then later they said that is the guy. Mm-hmm. That's the guy on the video. So so we know there's more video, obviously, of him approaching, him talking, and and to stop for one second, the other thing about that is we we know that that is the killer because the police have said that that voice belongs to that individual. Right. They have come out and said that. Right. So we do know that. Yeah. So we get this still, and then we hear down the hill, and then a year later, we get a new sketch, and they release more audio, and then more audio. I think it was almost two years later. Okay. The more audio was just us hearing the word guys. So they cut it together, and it says, Guys down the hill. The first thing I thought when I listened to it is those two don't go together. Meaning he didn't say guys down the hill. There's an obvious and Mike, if you if you listen to it, I'm sure you would be able to tell immediately the very telltale signs of cuts, of audio cuts. There the, the ambient noise is different. There's a sharp uh you know, the the waveforms weren't cut at zero crossing, all kind of nerd stuff that we do. It was very clear that was a cut, and then it was just stuck, they were stuck together. When that happened, my theory is they obviously have a bunch more audio, and and this is this is really upsetting, but I'm I'm gonna say it. I think the reason we don't have more audio is because the audio contains Abby and Libby, maybe up even to the murders, but even leading up to it when they're being led down, it could contain them screaming, crying. It it just can I I I I think that it probably contains a lot of them, which would would number one would make it so you couldn't hear him, and number two, there's no purpose in sharing it unless they're saying something that says you know that 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 identifies who it is. It it would just be heartbreaking for anybody to hear that. But just when I that's my this is my theory. But when I heard those cuts in that, that was my first thought was, oh. That's why we don't have any more audio, because the rest of the audio is not the killer. It's Abby and Libby, and it's very disturbing, and it doesn't do any good to share it, so it's been left out. And that's why we only get guys, because it's probably, he could be in the middle of a sentence, but there was a, there was a, there was a brief moment where you weren't hearing sounds from Abby or Libby that they were able to isolate his voice is my theory is why we, why we don't have more audio. Mike says, I'm curious if Bob could expand on his thoughts about investigations being so secretive. I agree. It's possible that it should be done more often, but I'm curious on his thoughts on where the line is in terms of time. Three to four years seems probably fine, but it also seems like it could be time to get more eyes on it. What do you think? It's tough because we don't know what we're talking about. And what I mean is we can't know what the police know that they've decided not to share. We don't know what we don't know. Based on just in general, and I guess what I know about this case, I think that it's smart to keep things tight 
for a minute or, you know, for a while. But now we're, you know, the day this airs, we're, we're, we're going to be, what, nine days away from four years. So the strategy that the police have taken is not working. I think there's, there has to come another shift and where they say, okay, keeping it close to the chest and not sharing any information has yielded us nothing. So we need to share some information. I think, again, it's smart to keep certain details of a crime concealed so that, you know, if, if you find the killer, there's, there's information out there that only the killer knows. But there's a lot of stuff you could share. So, for example, we literally know nothing about what happened to Abby and Libby. We don't know if they were shot. We don't know if they were stabbed. We don't know if they were strangled. We don't know if they were beaten. We don't know if they were sexually assaulted. We don't know if there was an attempt made to conceal their bodies. We don't know if they were buried. We don't know anything. And there's part of you that thinks, well, yeah, but we don't need to know. You know, that, why does that help? But maybe we do, not me, and maybe not you. But if there's family members out there of this killer, that information could be important. So, for example, let's say the bodies were buried. If you shared that information, and maybe there's somebody out there that didn't really think about it, and then they think back, wait a minute, my husband came home that day with dirt all over the knees of his pants, or he had a shovel in his car, or something weird, where they, which they didn't think about because we don't know that that's connected to the case, or you know, it was a, it was they were stabbed to death. It was a, it was, it was, a, it was a violent stabbing. And they're like, man, he came home and, you know, maybe, you know, blood might have been obvious, but let's say he's got cuts on his hands, on his fingers. Classic signs we see in stabbing incidents where the perpetrator will cut themselves on the knife or, you know, whatever. Information like that could help lead to who we're looking for. It could also help lead. And now I know they do have FBI involvement, so I'm sure they have profilers that do have the information that are looking at it. But, you know, we, we live in a world now where you have a, a wide world of crowdsourcing out there that includes guys like Jim Clemente and and other profilers that we work with that are just handcuffed here. We can't help get another set of eyes on it and then put some information out. I know you have a question coming up, Mike, so I'll just answer it now when it comes to a profile. People have asked me, can you profile the scene? Could you have Clemente come, Jim Clemente, come profile the scene? We can't because we don't know what the scene is. The, the, a, a, a criminal behavior analysis or a profile is built around the crime scene. You know, we study victimology. We looked at the crime scene. We're looking at specific behaviors of the offender that should help shine a mirror back on that offender as to who the type of person we're looking for. We don't know that, like I said, without knowing if they were sexually assaulted, without knowing the manner of death. We don't know. You know, they, they said that there was some sort of signature that was used, which is, you know, something that was done that wasn't necessary for the crime. What does that mean? Were the bodies posed? You know, was there, you know, did they take a bite out of them? It could mean any number of things. Body concealment. Was there an attempt to conceal the bodies or did they do whatever they were going to do with Abby and Libby's? And then as soon as they were dead, just ran away. All of that is what builds into a profile. The decisions that the offender made are what builds the profile. And we, the only decision we know, maybe, is that he directed them to go down the hill. But we don't even know if that was in order. Was he saying, go down the hill? Or 
had they, you know, at that point, had they, had there been some sort of ruse and they were asking him a question and he says, yeah, down the hill, you know, we don't know. We have no idea. So there's no way to build a profile off of that. Personally, I think it's time to release more information, not because I'm any smarter than police, but I just, I can just look at facts. They had a strategy of keeping things quiet in order to solve the case. Four years has passed. No, no justice has been brought in this case. That strategy didn't work. It's not working. So you shift the strategy and try something different. And you can still, you know, you know, for example, if they, you know, let's say the girls were sexually assaulted, you can share the fact that they were sexually assaulted without sharing specific. And that's usually what we see. When you see a report on the news of a crime being committed, you'll hear there was a murder in such and such apartment. The victims were shot. And it appears the, vo- the motive was burglary. And you see, you'll hear something like that. Now, they don't tell you how many times they were shot, what caliber of the gun, things like that, things that only the killer would know. But they can still put out some information about it. I mean, Christ, we don't even know. This person could have told this story of what he did to someone, and the person has no idea he's talking about these murders. You know, it could be the guy could be locked up in jail somewhere and be telling his cellmate that, oh, yeah, I took these two girls and I raped them and whatever. And people aren't making the connection to this case because no one knows what, you know, let's say, for example, if they had been raped, they, people don't know they were raped. So I think there's a lot of reasons now at this point, in my opinion, that they should they should start sharing some information. Their strategy is not working and it's time for a shift. See, you know, I have a theory about that too, Bob, and I, I genuinely hope I'm wrong on this, but I, I'm kind of concerned that they're just bluffing. The police are just bluffing on this, that they don't really have as much information as they're saying they do. There's a, there's a lot of things that are, you know, the, the sketches, which I have some thoughts on the sketches, but they look completely different. You know, they're, right. it's, it's almost like they're just shooting in the dark at this point. You know, they're saying they have DNA, but we haven't seen anything being processed with that. Maybe they don't right. really have as much as they say, and they're hoping that they can just like weed this guy out, that he's going to say something. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they did this whole, that whole last press conference. You know, he said, we've probably talked to you and you're probably in this room right now. You know, and it, right. it's that like fear tact of like, oh shit, they're onto me. You know, and, and maybe they don't really have anything. I don't think they don't have anything. I, I don't. Well, let me, let me rephrase that to say, I'm not going to say they don't have anything, but I think they're bluffing on more than what they have. Right. It could be. I, I I think it's a valid theory. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I cause just just knowing there's rumor about it's hard to fa- separate fact from fiction. There's mm-hmm. certainly a lot of rumors about this. What we do know is the family, the family may not know exactly what happened, but they know some of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was a funeral. They got their bodies back. They, you know, so and, and the police have said that this was a brutal attack. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was brutal. There was signature. So that all would lead you to believe. Certainly, there's evidence. I don't think that we're dealing with an extremely sophisticated offender because of the phone. And Mike, you had a theory about the phone too. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, uh, what came to mind right away for me was when we were kind of discussing the girls' cell phones. Uh, I thought, well, it's kind of odd. If the killer were younger, I, I would think... The, one of the first things he would do after abducting the girls is take their cell phones from them. Right. Uh, and the fact that their cell phones were found on their persons still, right? Yeah. You know, or at the crime scene somewhere. Uh, the, the killer hadn't even touched them or it looked that way. It, it just screamed to me that, that the, the offender was older or someone who didn't realize the current relationship between people, especially teenage girls, and their devices. Yeah, I think that yeah, older and and maybe not even necessarily older, but definitely someone who's not super into technology. Right. You know, because I would be thinking not only maybe not that they were videoing, but I certainly, you know, any any, you know, any offender you would think in 2017 would be thinking the phone is a massive critical piece of evidence if for no other reason than the GPS tracking on it. You know, that's the that if you know, if they're trying to you know, hide these bodies and get away to buy themselves some time to get away. The first way they'll be able to find them is by the phone. You know, even if the battery's dead or whatever, you just, it, it just, yeah, it, it's surprising that the phone was left there with all that critical evidence on it. And yeah, and then getting back to what you said, Zach, I, I don't know. I think they do. I think they have information. I think they're struggling with how to handle it. You know, it I mean, hell, profile the, the police chief or the sheriff that gave the speech. Or he was with the Indiana State Police, the guy that in that press conference. Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard that, and they were like, you know, it was really dramatic, and it was like TV. I heard it, and I and I apologize. I don't mean to be insulting to this man. I don't know the guy, but when I listened to it, I was like, dude, shut up! Like this is not like you're. It felt to me like he's trying to show off for the cameras and trying to dramatize it and trying to make it. You know, you know when he was quoting the shack and that whole yeah, that part was strange to me when he started going into that. Yeah, it was just like, dude, this is not how you. This is not the way. This is not the way that you 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 work this case, and it, that leads me to believe that if that's the, and again, I I I feel like I'm and I am a little bit, but I I don't mean to be insulting this guy. This is just my my take on it because he seems like a very nice man, but I feel like if that is the brain behind how the investigation is being conducted he just has a very outside the box different way of thinking and doing things so if he's the shot caller and he's the one say i I could i'll say this i could say i could see that guy the guy that i don't know at all but i heard in that press conference if i i could see that guy saying we can't you know out of respect for abby and libby we can't share details like, you know, if they were sexually assaulted or if they were left nude or if they, you know, or how they were killed out of respect for them. We, he just seemed like the kind of guy coming from a good place in his heart that we can't share that information, making the decision for no other reason than that. When the reality is that sharing it may help actually solve the case. And like I said, I really, I mean, I hope I'm wrong on this. It's just a thought I had. Brian says, are you surprised that the girls didn't use the phone to try and call a parent, sibling, or grandparents if they were worried about the strange guy? 
I think it was smart to take a picture and video record him, but I would think you would want to call an adult if you were scared. Well, I mean, based on what we see and the little bit we do see in the proximity the guy was to them, it may not have been an option. You know, so it looks like she got her phone up, hit record on the video. We get a little bit of video and then she stuffed it. Because I, I think if I think if she would have had the, the camera out on him for longer, we would see that. There's no reason, you know, if the guy is walking for a minute and a half across the bridge, I think that there's no reason not to show that. That would be better for them to show that. So I think she pulled it out and pointed it at him, and then he was close enough that, that he she knew that he would be suspicious of that, You know, probably didn't know that what was going to happen next, but knew something wasn't right, and just quickly tossed her phone, You know, took it out, started videoing, oh shit, puts the, puts the phone into her pocket. Yeah, I, I have to agree on that, I, and I think that possibly this started earlier. I think that they possibly came across this suspect earlier on the trail. Yeah, I think so which, too. Which led them to feel that he was creepy. Right. And then they got what they thought was away from him. And when they got across the bridge, they realized that he was coming across the bridge because at one point there is a snapshot photo, a Snapchat photo of Libby standing on the bridge. Or Ab- Libby took the photo of Abby. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's nobody behind them. Right. You, you can see all the way back to the other side. There's nobody behind them. Mm-hmm. So I think they just went out there playing and doing whatever. And at some point realized this guy was now coming across the bridge. Has it ever been made clear? I asked Barb this and she wasn't sure, but what direction that photo was taken from? So that photo in the, the video that I've seen, there's a, there's a really good YouTube video where someone went out and walked the trail and has, has like mm-hmm. pieced it together. And there's a fence there that you can see, which is on the, would be the Northwest side, which would be the side they approach from. Okay. There's a fence there, which you can see in the background of that, in the photo of her. So, so, so that is facing back towards the way the, the killer would have came or and and the way they came from and the also. way they came from yeah okay so they had walked all the way across or at least libby continued across abby was still on the bridge and took a picture back that direction yes and he's not in that picture yeah. i mean at that point they are still on it she's on one of those platforms if you notice the right the high bridge has these weird little platforms that stick off the edge right the yeah. theory is she's off on one of those platforms standing facing backwards taking the picture right the youtube video that i found is, is phenomenal somebody took a lot of time and actually walked the trail and then stopped in the video and put the pictures up and lined them up so you could see. Nice. I'll find that. I'm, be, I'll be, I'm obsessed and I yeah. definitely want, want to check that out. Yeah, Zach, any idea who the creator was of the video? Uh, I, I do not. I have to find it again. Mm-hmm. I wish I did because I, I spent, it's like 14 minutes long. I mean, it's a, they did a really good job with it. Okay. Well, we'll search that out and find it. Well, you, I'll, I'll try to post a link on social media if we find that, that video. So, so back to the question. I think that's exactly it, is that once they realized that it was too late to try to make a phone call. Yeah, he's too close, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, yeah, and I agree. I think they probably came across the guy. There had to be a horrible feeling of panic when they get to the other side of the bridge and the trail system stops. And that, like, that's the, that essentially to be in the park, that's the dead end. It's time to turn around and go back now. And you turn around to go back and here's this guy that you had already seen and thought, that's creepy that this guy's here. Maybe he said something to him Mm -hmm. or whatever. And now he's blocking your path. He's coming back down. And so there was probably a, a real feeling of panic, nowhere to go, not just run off into the woods. You got to go through, you know, and, and just thought he was creepy. Bring the phone up, throw it in her pocket, but couldn't make a phone call right there in front of him because he would hurt it. Mm-hmm. Kelly says, do you think it is at all possible that after the initial abduction, the girls tried to make a run for it, possibly across the creek? I just can't see a perpetrator ordering them across the creek when there was a lot of remote places nearby. 
No, I think I don't think that. I don't think they made a run for it. And again, this is why I believe that he had a gun with two people enabled in order to control two teenagers. And, and yes, it is, having two is easier to control because if you threaten one, that'll usually keep the other one around. But you have to be able to threaten one of them, right? So you you can't you know if there's some distance between you, it's not like you can just you know I'm gonna I'm gonna to them. I mean you got to there needs to be a visible threat. I know Jim Clemente will say, and, and obviously he knows more than me. It doesn't make sense to me, but but he knows what he's talking about. That people are are tend to be more afraid of a knife than a gun. And he said it's because we've all been cut before, and literally there's something happens in like your lizard brain that you're, you're, you can imagine what that feels like for that knife to cut you, and it tends to be more scary to people than a gun. Uh, but I would think that an offender that doesn't know any better would probably think a gun is a better option. And when you have a re- remote open space where they can just run away, uh, you know, you're not boxed into a building. So, so to me, I feel like he had a gun, and he pointed a gun and and points it at one of them, says, you guys go or I'm going to kill you. I think that just based on what we see from him, of course, it's hard to tell because he's walking across a bridge with big gaps. I think that had they taken off running, they could have gotten away. I think they would have just gotten away. It's woods. They're younger and better shape. And and you have to imagine faster that they could have gotten away if they had taken off running. I think he led them down. And and I think he chose that spot. Again, if you look at the maps of it, that you know what I try to do it's is when I'm looking at any case that we've worked on here on Truth and Justice or any other case I'm looking at is to try to put myself in the mind of the killer. And if you're planning this crime, and that's why I want to actually go walk it. I mentioned you know in in, uh, in two weeks on True Crime Binge, I have Nick from True Crime Garage on, and we talk about this. So if you want more of this case, definitely check that episode out um, because we we dig deep into the weeds on this. And, and he and I are actually going to go meet, and I'm guessing Zach's tagging along too at this point. We're going to go there and walk the crime scene because I want just want to see like what the killer could have been thinking. But I'm just looking at maps. I can see like, oh, okay, if if you if you plan to abduct somebody and kill them, and you find that the pinch point is on the southeast side of the bridge, then now the next thing you got to figure out is where can I get them where nobody's going to come across them. Well, if you continue on through the woods, there's always a chance people will walk through and continue on that way. But if you get off the bridge and you make an immediate turn to the east and go down a hill, cross a creek, and back up, which is not that far, it ends up being about a half mile as a crow flies, you get back up the hill a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, you have a boundary between people in the park that are walking trails. The creek, the, 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 the big hill down to the creek, and the creek is a boundary. No one's going to just stumble across you. He moves it on to private property. And then the big thing for me is egress. If you plan this attack, you have to plan how you can get out of there without being seen. And the only thing that makes sense is parking in the back of that cemetery. It's a quick little jaunt up the hill. You're in your car and you're gone. And then that's why I think this was, this was meticulously planned as far as that part of it. Now, the physicality of it, once it happens, I don't think, you know, again, the phone being left there, I think, indicates this was not a super sophisticated offender. He didn't think of things like getting rid of the phone, throwing it in the water or whatever, uh, or, or you know, just taking it to try to destroy any evidence. And, and they're saying he left a bunch of physical evidence behind. I think once he got in the heat of the moment, then he, he was no longer thinking clearly. Everything about the scene shows me somebody who planned this far in advance. And then 
probably had never done something like quite like this before. And the, the plan looked good on paper when it came to the execution of it. You know, there was certainly some panic and he missed some things. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucy says, Do you think there was a reason that they didn't find the bodies sooner during the first search on the night of February 13th? Were they so hidden and so far away from the searchable area that they wouldn't have found them? Well, I think that it has mostly to do with what I was just describing that. It's because of proximity, and that, again, is another answer to why maybe that that space was chosen. Because, you know, they weren't, remember, that first day, they weren't looking for, you know, that they were abducted and murdered. They're missing. They're thinking, what if they fell somewhere? What if they fell down? So, you know, they're, they're, they're focusing around the trails. They're focusing on the creek bottom. They're focusing on places where they may have accidentally got hurt. And by the second day, they expanded the search just because they had no clue what had happened. And that's when they finally came across them. Well, I, th- I think on the first day you have to realize too, you know, they're not, you're not reporting them until five, five thirty, And, and at that time frame, it's starting to get dark and especially in right. the woods, it's getting dark. Right. So you're, you're going to walk down the trails. You're going to look close to the trails. Right. As you said, they're, they're quarter mile, half mile off the trail at this right. point on the other side of the, the creek off the backside of that bridge. You're probably not going to be looking there in the dark. Because even yeah. if you are there in the dark, you're probably not going to see them. Yeah, and and actually, I, I didn't even think about dark. But so this is for us. This is local for mm-hmm. us. It gets dark there the same time it gets dark here, and we're at the same time of year. And it's I just happened to notice last night. I noticed because you know d- during like like fishing and hunting and stuff, you pay attention to the to the daylight hours when it gets dark. And I know back in December it was getting dark at like five thirty, mm-hmm. and I noticed last night that it wasn't dark until about six thirty now. Yeah, uh, but by six thirty it's dark. Yeah, and you have to imagine being in woods, right? Yeah, so they're search. So yeah, so you're you're basically they're reported missing at five thirty. The entire search took place in the dark. Jennifer says, seeing a comment earlier about the sketches reminded me: was there ever a reason given for why they looked so different? Also along those lines, John says, do you know how the sketches originated? Trying to match the sketch with the man in the video, my brain does not compute. The older sketch made more sense. But Indiana State Police said to disregard it. So actually, I I've dug a lot of rabbit holes this week, going through everything, reading Reddit and everything. And one of the big theories about the sketches are the second sketch, the one that came out two years later of the younger suspect, mm-hmm. was actually the original sketch. Now, this is just a theory. Right. But it was actually the original sketch based on witnesses that were at the park. And that the second sketch came the first what we sketch, know as the first sketch, yeah, which, actually became later and was the second sketch, right? So yeah, so you're saying that uh, originally 
they made a sketch and then and, and part of that theory you told me earlier was that the one that we know is the first sketch, the bridge guy sketch, mm-hmm. the the theory is that that was built based on the video. Yeah. And that they had made one based on witness statements, which is the one we got we saw two years later. Yes. Yeah. And I've seen that theory. I disagree with it. And this and we looked at we I you know we we, yep. we did this. We went through the video and like blew up as best we could in the uh that video. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing there. Yeah, it would be hard to try to create anything yeah. off of it. I mean, the pixels are almost the size of his head in the original photo. So mm-hmm. it's there's because that that sketch that we saw as the first sketch is so detailed. Uh, I I just I know how sketch artists work, and they don't just like draw a picture of a face. They literally do it piece by piece. So they you know what does the nose look like? Here's options for noses. Which nose was it? These are eye. How far apart were the eyes? What was the shape of the eyes? What were the eyebrows like? What were the big, what size lips did they, you know, facial hair, all these things. They do them piece by piece by piece. So to put together a sketch that's that detailed, that had to come, unless the sketch is complete bullshit, which I, I just don't think it is. There's, there's no way that sketch came from, I think, that still image of the video. The only explanation that I can think of is that there was a witness that saw, maybe saw someone. In the air, and it could have been something as simple, not even maybe wearing the blue jacket, but if somebody came forward and said, "I saw a guy that was creeping me out and looked like this and 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 that's what he looked like. I just have to believe that came from a witness statement because that's how sketches is it unless they just literally just made it up, which that would be especially so early that would be ridiculous, I think yeah, um there's certainly theories of people that would disagree with me, but I just don't think that's true. But then, then we flip to the other one. I, I, in my opinion, the difference in the sketches is as simple as they had multiple witness statements. You know, maybe somebody somebody said, "I saw this guy; he looked creepy," and then somebody else says, "I saw this guy, and he was wearing a blue jacket." And you know, they went with the one they thought was the most accurate, and then they ended up, you know, when they don't get any traction on that for two years, they they flip flop it and switch to the other one. I don't know because you know, and then it all came out in that press conference two years later, and then in that press conference, we also get the. We're looking for the owner of this car from the abandoned CPS building. And I just, I'm sorry, I don't buy that at all. I do not buy, which, you know, I, I said I don't think this was a particular, particularly sophisticated offender. However, I do think they put a lot into planning. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there had to be planning, and therefore I don't think part of the plan was after I kill these girls, I'm going to go back up the hill when they're saying brutal, you're, I'm imagining blood on them. Who knows? Maybe not. But then this person is going to walk back over the bridge and through that trail system, walking past God knows how many people all the way back a half mile to get back to his car. It just seems super unlikely to me. I just, it just To me, that it, it had to have been, they had to have been parked at the cemetery. So then I'm like, well, what are they talking about? Why is that? You know, it's a different sketch. And now it's we're looking for this car. And all these theatrics, and we're narrowing in on you, you know, like like Clint Eastwood giving a speech. It just doesn't make sense. I I feel like that's what I, I felt like the whole purpose of that press conference was to draw somebody out. I feel like it was a ruse. I think there were you know that part I think might have been a bluff that they probably filled that room full of uh, criminal profilers and had cameras everywhere videoing, and they were just watching. And then why he was why he's giving the speech? I guarantee you, they were behavioral analysts. They were were staring down that crowd to see if they could find a reaction from mm-hmm. them. And, and they said that in the Down the Hill podcast, uh, Barb says that she was in the room. Mm-hmm. She was told to go there and she was in the room. 
And she said when he said that, that, you know, you could be in the room. She said it was it was just eerie because everybody started right. looking over their shoulder. Right. So, like you said, there had to be people there trying to watch for people's reactions. Yeah. And part of that, you know, I heard multiple people say that the way when he gave that speech, you felt like he was getting down and he was going to walk over and arrest somebody. And I think it was meant to be that way. He was hoping to find the one person that looked panicked when he got down and it just didn't pan out. Like Again, to me, all the more reason to shift, shift your strategy, share some information and let the, the, the hard part is you have so much law enforcement that doesn't like us uh, amateur sleuths, right? But the problem is amateur sleuths are solving crimes all over the world right now. You know, people are realizing the power of, of groups like the truth and justice army that are not just, you know, just armchair detectives, but, but are people with all different kinds of expertise and a giant reach that, that really care about truth and justice that will really engage and help solve a case like this. Uh, and if they would just let them help, I think that they would get a lot further than they have. Rosalind says, did the girls make it known or public via social media, et cetera, that they would be out there on that particular day? So they, there was a, the, the Snapchat photo Zach was talking about. I don't know if they put out that they were going to be there, but while they were there, and here, here's some confusion that should get cleared up too. The video we saw of Bridge Guy was not on social media. That was on the camera roll of her phone, of Libby's phone. The photo of Abby on the bridge was on social media. So that was a photo that got posted to Snapchat of her on the bridge. And then later, Bridge Guy comes and she records that video. And there's not much of a timeline there. If, you, if you've heard it in the timeline, I think they get dropped off about 2.45. Right. It's kind of the, the idea. And, and from what everybody's figured out, that those snaps went out a little after 3. Right. And then by 3.15, I, I think somewhere around 3.30 is when they're calling to see them and they can't find them. Was it that quick? I didn't realize it was all that tight. I, I'm pretty confident it's pretty quickly. Okay. But, but even, if it's, even if it's not, they're on the bridge at, at 3.07, I think is the time Is that frame. when the snap yeah. came out? So then it has to be a pretty short time frame after that. Right. So where I was going with that is being that the time frame is so short, it's not that somebody found that on Snapchat and then went and found them. You know, I mean, that, that, that wouldn't work out that way. Right. All right. And with that, we're out of time for today. Uh, there's so much more to talk about this case uh, and, and expect more. I know a lot of you through our last week's follow up, this follow up and through social media, a lot of people have asked if we're going to do something with truth and justice with this case. I still I, 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 I don't want to mislead you as of right now. That's not our intention to do that. Unless we find, unless it comes out that, oh, there's something that we can actually do besides just rehashing old information. Um, so that, that is not the intention, but I'm still looking for that new information. It is the case that is just haunting me and I can't let it go. So I am continuing to look into it. Zach's hooked. He's in. He's looking into it. So as I mentioned, if you want to hear more about Delphi in two weeks, I believe on the 17th of February, whatever that Wednesday is. I have Nick from True Crime Garage on our new show, True Crime Binge. We talk about it, and, and again, we're planning that trip to go down and look at the crime scene. So expect more on it. And again, one more time this week, it's already aired. We have uh, the Payne Lindsay episode of True Crime Binge. Uh, next Wednesday, I have Christine Schiefer from the And That's Why We Drink podcast on. Um, a lot of good content coming on True Crime Binge. And probably more importantly, the moment you've all been waiting for, 
we are two days away from the launch of Season 10. So in two days, this Sunday, Season 10, Episode 1, will go live at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. I cannot wait to get back into this case and for us all to get back to work. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. There is a very, very, very small chemical difference between custard and vanilla pudding. What is I it? Just wanna, I just want to mention. What's the difference between pudding yeah, and custard? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's... Uh,
I thought maybe you'd chime in with the, with the correct answer to that. I just know that it was pudding. You know, I've tasted <laughs> custard. custard. I've then. tasted custard and I've tasted pudding and they taste different. Okay. And it was pudding. You know, custard's yellow. Pudding's yeah, white. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not white. I've never seen white pudding. Vanilla. It's, it's off white. It's, it's, it's off whiter. white. It's a whiter. It's not white. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.